I'm going to invite Jared and Hannah to step up here. The Bakers have been serving with Serve Globally with the Covenant Church in France since 2009, I believe. Yeah, and uh, they're about to um, bring God's word to us this morning. They're also going to bring a little bit of update of what's going on in their lives because there's some changes. <laughs> so, what have you been doing in France, and what are you about to do? We'd like to know a little bit about that. Well, good morning. We want to say thanks to uh, Pastor Craig and to Jeff and to all of you for inviting us here this morning to to share a little bit. It's always a pleasure to be back in Michigan. Um, some of you may know that right after Hannah and I got married, we took a bit of an unorthodox honeymoon and spent our first three months of marriage working at uh, Portage Lake Bible Camp up in Michigan. And so, uh, in Onekama, yeah. And so it's always a pleasure to come back. Um, I think it's been about four or five years since we've last had a chance to to see you and to be with you. So we're Jared and Hannah Baker, and uh, before we move into the sermon, we thought we'd just give a bit of context into kind of who we are and, as Craig said, what we've been doing and where we'll be going. So we've been with Serve Globally for the last 10 years. We've spent uh, several years in the city of Antwerp in Belgium, and since 2014, we've been serving in the city of Marseille, France. If you could, yeah, there it is. So you can see it's not a bad place to suffer for Jesus. It's quite lovely. So while in Marseille, I worked in church ministry, co-pastoring with Benjamin Turio, who's a, a French pastor at the local French Evangelical Free Church. So there's Benjamin and myself. Hannah and I also, we both taught weekly English courses at a local Christian community center that has a strong impact in the neighborhood. And additionally, Hannah did outreach among Comorians, a Muslim immigrant population originally from the Comoros Islands. And if you're not familiar with Comorians or the Comoros Islands, many people aren't. Because if you could toss up the next slide, if you look at some maps, they actually don't even show up on the map. But Comorians come from a series of four islands just between Madagascar and Mozambique. And they have a really significant presence in the city of Marseille. In addition, Hannah also did outreach among trafficked and exploited women through a local faith-based anti-trafficking association. So we're now on a one-year home assignment in the U.S., and at the end of this time, we're excited to share that we're going to be making a transition from Serve Globally's Europe team to the new MENA, which is Middle East North Africa team. Officially launched in 2017, MENA is Serve Globally's newest region of service. And so including us, the MENA team counts about six people, including uh, Nancy Jo Hoover, who I'm sure some of you, some of you know. And Hannah and I, we're going to be the first people of this team of six to actually relocate to the region where our roles are going to be to help develop four focus areas of ministry among local partners. And those are Muslim engagement, peacemaking and reconciliation with a focus on Israel-Palestine, ministry to refugees, and religious persecution. Not doing religious persecution, but responding to (laughs) religious persecution uh, with a focus on the suffering church. So I recognize that's probably way too much information in way too short of a time. Um, But I like what uh, Keith said. You know, mission is about relationships. So we look forward to talking and sharing a little bit more with you after the service, um, either between services or later this evening. So this morning, I would like to start by asking a question. And because we're in a church, I know that all of you are going to answer completely honestly. How many of you have either wanted or considered going into international missions? 
I mean, you guys, of course, but... All right, a few people. Uh, now, my follow-up question is, how many of you can't imagine anything worse? Maybe if the lights were dimmer, you'd be a little more, a little more honest. Well, whether or not mission sounds like an exciting adventure or a terrifying prospect, this morning we'd like to share a little bit more about what mission is and why we do it. So I invite you, you can open your Bibles, look on your phones, or follow along on the screen as we read uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in these verses, John shows us that mission begins with God. God is the initiator, a God who sent himself into the world to reveal himself to us. And the gift of Jesus dwelling among humanity is the perfect revelation of both the character and the heart of God. And through his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus shows us how God loves his creation, what he cares about, and what a human life lived in service to God's mission looks like. And we think there's a connection between these ideas of between mission and this idea of dwelling among. I mean, what does it mean to dwell somewhere? Today we might say something like doing life together in a certain context. As Pastor Craig said earlier, each one of us in this room lives in some specific place among some specific people. We interact with these people and with our environment where we do tangible, everyday things. We work, we play, we rest, we celebrate, and so much more. And all of these things, they're the raw materials of life, the acting out of daily habits in the places where we dwell. So if Jesus dwelling among us in human form is the mission of God in the world, then mission is, quite simply, dwelling in the world as Christ did. And so mission is both physical and tangible, involving the everyday experiences of living, of both giving and receiving what we need to thrive. The capstone course for my studies at Fuller Seminary was called Thinking Missiologically. On the first day of this course, the professor asked us a question, which no doubt to him was probably a no-brainer. He asked, what is mission? And the response, absolute silence. We watched his frustration mount as an entire class of at least 30 students in the capstone course of their graduate studies simply stared back at him. How could we not know the definition of mission by now? Did we need to go all the way back and start at the beginning? I, for one, felt slightly ashamed that I didn't have an answer until I looked around and realized that no one else seemed to either. But you see, it wasn't that we didn't know the answer. It was that we didn't have a ready definition for dwelling among. When we're talking about mission, we could be talking about anything, really, such as sharing meals, giving away a dishwasher, dishwasher, crying with someone or praying with someone, shivering in solidarity in a bus stop in the middle of winter at night, or even accompanying someone to the courthouse for an immigration hearing. We could go on and on. But essentially, as theologian David Bosch says, 
The criteria for missionary service and spirituality are not in magnificent and romantic accomplishments, but in ordinary daily existence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes about what happens to people when we come to know God in Jesus Christ. He talks about how our hearts are changed, and we enter into this lifelong process of reflecting who God is in our lives as we are renewed day by day. We think and speak and act differently. All these areas in our lives are transformed so that others around us will see the character of God reflected in the raw materials of our lives. So if I had to answer my professor's question today, we could say that one way to describe mission is food, friends, fun, and funerals. Our experience has been that these four F's encompass the many ways in which each of us, exactly in the places where we dwell, act as the witnesses to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. So we're all church people here. So that means we know that any event done right must have food. Jesus seemed to know this as well, which is why we have stories of him eating with people like Levi, Zacchaeus, Mary and Martha, and many others. Eating together, sharing fellowship over food and drink, is core to our relationships with one another. It creates the atmosphere of welcome, it increases ease in each other's presence, and even the very act of eating gives our physical bodies joy and satisfaction. And unsurprisingly, the same is true in every single part of the world. In the ministry to people exploited in prostitution, a significant aspect of my work is outreach and intervention, which means I'm often making initial contacts and doing follow-up with women by visiting them on the streets at night where they work. And I began working primarily with Nigerian women because while they speak English, when they arrive in France, they often speak no French at all. And so as a native English speaker, it was a natural connection for us. And I never went out, went out to visit them without a thermos of tea or hot chocolate and a small snack to share. And it was really the food that opened the door to conversation, especially with people who had absolutely no reason to trust me or to talk with me. After all, why would they when they have stories like that of Sarah, which is not her real name? Sarah was led to believe by a friend in Nigeria that he had found a job for her at a beauty salon in Europe. He would take care of all her documents. After all, she was from a rural village, and so she didn't know anything about visas or passports. Once she agreed, this man took her to a local witch doctor, where she was forced to take an oath that she would pay back a debt of at least 30,000 euros. So by now, she had some reservations, but the oath was made, so it was too late. They set out on the journey to Europe together, crossing the Sahara Desert through Libya, where it quickly became clear that Sarah was not the only woman on this journey. The man left her and other women like her to board a migrant boat across the Mediterranean, and Sarah shared with me that she saw a good friend of hers die before her very eyes on this journey. The boat arrived in Italy, where Sarah was met by other traffickers in the network, and where she became one of the thousands of Nigerian women who are trafficked through Italy to Europe every single year. So it's stories like these that women carry with them as a burden when I meet them at night on the streets. As we share this very small meal together, it creates the space and time that women like Jessica, Vivian, and Beauty need to spare from their work. They get prayer, encouragement, and practical assistance, which are forms of attention that they do not receive in their daily lives. And these initial contacts often lead to daytime lunches and invitations to go deeper in life together. 
And over the years, we've had, even had the chance to have holiday parties on the streets together. Thankfully, Sarah is no longer being exploited. Her trafficker's hold has been broken through a truly miraculous series of events, which I would love to share about if we have time at some point. She has received much practical aid from her church and the assistance of our association, and she and her new husband are even expecting their first child. So never underestimate the barriers that can be broken down and the doors opened with a cold, warm drink on a cold night. The English poet John Donne once famously wrote, No man is an island unto himself. The implication being that human beings don't do well in isolation. We need other people. We need some form of community in our lives. And perhaps one of the most important elements of community are friends. Healthy friendships provide us with places of welcome, love, acceptance, and trust. And friendship is a fundamental building block of mission. At the Christian Community Center where we taught English, I had the joy of spending three years with um, a really delightful group of five women, as you can see on the screen. And just to clarify, those aren't, that's not a French fashion hat. We were playing, playing a game. Um, so three of the women were French, retired French women, uh, t- one Catholic, two secular. One was an unemployed Moroccan Muslim woman, and the other was a young Muslim woman from Algeria. Despite differences in age and nationality and language and religion, these women are my friends. We celebrated birthdays and holidays together in class. We saw Beauty and the Beast in the theater in English, so we could count it as homework. We offered condolences at the loss of loved ones, and at the end of each year, we celebrated with a small party. So prior to leaving Marseille, I wanted to get each of them a gift. And so I had found a small clay candle holder made by the monks at the prayer community, Tize. And carved into each candle holder was the symbol of a dove. So during our last class, I gave them their gifts, and I explained that in our faith tradition, the dove symbolizes peace. And I talked about Jesus' habit of proclaiming peace upon his friends. And I explained how Jesus' desire for, for peace, right relationship with God and with those around us, is my desire for them, and that's why I chose to give them this particular candle holder. So after I finished, one of my students, Lydie, kind of shivered and went, Ooh, I have the skin of the chicken. Which, if you literally translate goosebumps from French, you get the skin of the chicken. So she went on to explain how a couple days prior, she had experienced a significant reconciliation of her two daughters who had been estranged for a very long time. And she remarked how this blessing of peace coincided with the peace that she was now experiencing in her own family. Friendship matters in mission. In a secular society like France, there's no way I could have ever given this kind of gift and talked about God's peace with these women if they weren't my friends. The friendship we have opened doors to conversations and sharing parts of our lives that would have otherwise remained closed off. And where there are food and friends, there's also fun, hopefully. We've shared that I spend much of my time in Marseille among the Comorian community. Comorians are island people, and the warmth of their tropical island home really is reflected in the warmth of their welcome. They know how to party. As immigrants in France, they have a tight-knit community, despite the fact that they are well over 100,000 strong in France. In fact, with a total global population of only about one million people, Marseille is the city with the largest Comorian population of any city in the world, including in the Comoros Islands. 
Everybody seems to know or be related to everybody else. And I've had some memorable parties with my Camorian friends. So I could share about the time an entire group of women dressed to the nines at an engagement party danced around me while I politely tried to choke down a delicacy that amounted to intestines simmered in coconut milk. Or I could share about the time a group, a group of women and I were on our way home from a wedding when the van broke down twice. And all of us in our sparkly and sequined wedding attire had to push the van down the highway to an exit. These are really memorable moments for me. But when I really think of fun times with my Camorian friends, I think of the many evening meals during Ramadan, Islam's holiest month, in which Jared and I were invited to break the day's fast with friends like Hadija and her family, shown here. These meals always have a festive feel, as friends and family gather to share truly copious amounts of food each evening after sunset. Because of our friendship, we're privileged to be invited regularly into these celebrations, which take place in private spaces in their homes. We have a voice in these spaces, and through both word and deed, or dwelling among them, we hope that we're spreading the aroma of Christ among these friends. Now, most times, food, friends, and fets, or fun, are le joie de vivre, the joy of life. But we know that life is not always joyful, for there are funerals as well. And mission is about being present and walking with people through a variety of life events, And sometimes that means that we walk with our friends through the valley of the shadow of death. Pastor Benjamin and I had the habit of meeting every Monday morning for a time of prayer and planning. And one particular morning, we were interrupted by a phone call. A member of our church, Elizabeth, called to tell Benjamin that her husband, Claude, wasn't expected to live much longer. And could we come to the house and pray? I proposed stopping by our apartment to get a communion set and anointing oil for Claude. And in the car, Benjamin and I came up with a small bedside service for Claude. When we arrived, we asked Elizabeth if we could have this special service before he passed. Now, Claude hadn't been conscious in many days, and I think Elizabeth was a bit skeptical, but she agreed. So we prayed and we read Psalm 23. We shared in communion together, and I touched Claude's lips with the bread and just a drop of wine. We read the Beatitudes, and we ended with a prayer committing Claude into the arms of the Father who created him, the Son who redeemed him, and the Spirit that sustained him. And Claude passed the next morning. Several months later, Elizabeth gave me a gift. In sorting through Claude's things, Elizabeth had found an old Army-Navy hymnal in English, and she wanted me to have it as a thank you for being present with her and Claude in his last moments. So while there are many joys in mission, we must also remember the call to mourn with those who mourn. So you may or may not have wanted to go into international missions, but the truth is that those of us who follow Christ are a missional people. We, the church, are a collection of people who have turned to the Lord and who now reflect the glory of God, however imperfectly. If our model and head is Jesus Christ, then all of us are also called to dwell among You may not make your career doing mission or in full-time ministry, but we are all on the same team. We are all members of the kingdom of God. So we are all called to be witnesses right where we live. Your life, motivated by food, fun, friends, and funerals, is really all the raw material you need to live as missional people right here in Grand Rapids. But we recognize that there are challenges to this. 
However, as Jared and I strive to dwell among in our own lives, two important attributes that are essential to being missional people have really risen to the surface for us, and those are curiosity and availability. Mission can be motivated by curiosity. In fact, curiosity is absolutely vital to mission because the opposite of curiosity is disinterest or apathy. If we're uninterested or apathetic towards people, we're simply passing them by, which is not dwelling among them or reflecting Christ to them. Without curiosity about people, it's really easy to dismiss them, to objectify them, or to hold them at arm's length. On the other hand, God can use curiosity to build bridges, to lead us to new places, to bring people to us when they're curious about who we are, and to move us outside of our comfort zones. And this matters because, as Bosch also says, the church discovers her true nature and mission only as she moves from one human world to another, when she crosses frontiers, whether these are geographical, cultural, ethnic, linguistic, or sociological. Curiosity has brought us into the homes of Comorians, French, Belgians, Nepalis, Iraqis, Muslims, atheists, Christians, Yazidis, and many others. Curiosity, therefore, is a core element to living fully into the four Fs. A second attribute of missional people is availability. We live in a culture where a myriad of things fight for our waking hours. And we all have responsibilities and things that we need to get done in a day. And the challenge for us can be cultivating openness to the Spirit's movement amidst the tasks. Mission is openness. It's keeping the things that would otherwise overwhelm or preoccupy us within their proper bounds so that God can continue to use us. The biggest way to kill mission is to be too busy, too unavailable, or too preoccupied to care. Mission, however, is disciplined, but it's agendaless. As he dwelt among us, Jesus acted and spoke with care and authority, and he practiced discipline. But he also held his agenda loosely, leaving space for divine appointments. When crowds asked, Jesus stayed with them to teach them and feed them. He paused along the road to heal blind Bartimaeus, and he relaxed at a well in the middle of a workday. And as a result, a Samaritan woman's life was forever transformed. So First Covenant, we want to thank you again for inviting us here today as representatives of God's mission across the ocean. And we want to encourage you as God's missional people here in Grand Rapids. Who are you curious about? Where are the places that you can be available? As you ponder these questions, may you continue to be transformed into a deeper reflection of God's love for the world. May you be gifted with both curiosity and availability for those you dwell among. And may God use your food, friends, fun, and funerals as a way of furthering his mission. Amen.